0: Podcast. The mics are set up. First of all, uh, props to our audio man here in Cologne, Marcel. Thank you very much. I <laughs> Also, very big thanks to Auslan Linas from the Marketing Team in Lithuania for your wonderful efforts. Um, yeah, Normally, this podcast is about the, the legal profession in the digital age. And I thought today we might uh, switch it around a little bit and talk about the people profession in a digital age. So with me today is uh, Matteo Freudenthal, CEO and founder of an HR tech company in Cologne. What's up, man? How are you doing,
1: Matteo? Fine. Thank you, man. Thank you, Daniel. Mm. Yeah, I'm doing well.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming around today, even though it's a Saturday and we are in a high risk zone, a high risk Corona zone as of yesterday in Cologne, but uh, we have all the safety measures in place. Anyway, thanks for
1: coming around, man. I, I <clears> rode <throat> my bike, so yeah, it was mm. safe right here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Matteo.
1: What do you do? Yeah, well, I uh, run a software company called Honesty. Mm. And essentially, we help um, companies to improve company culture through measuring what matters and improving it. Mm. So, it was, however,
0: not your first business venture though, right? I, I, As I understand it, you have been a businessman since the age of what? Seven or eight. when? When did you start your first business?
1: Oh, that's a, such a difficult question, <laughs> Daniel. But yeah, like I'm an entrepreneur by heart, and yeah. uh, as a child, um, I, I received less money than all my other uh, pupils. Mm. My parents, um, yeah, were strict on that, so I found other ways to make money to buy video games, and it was always trading. It was like trading. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like collectionable figures. It was trading. Um, um, uh collection cards pokemon magic you name it i never played them i just traded them and mm-hmm. I exchanged them for higher value cards and then sold them and mm-hmm. that was like some of the first businesses one uh, at 13 i had like the first repeatable business which was selling like noodles that it was like noodles that people <laughs> ate raw they didn't cook them they ate them like okay. they would be like peanuts or chips and i would sell like 60 packages a day in school and that was actually like i don't know 40 50 euros or of 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 like uh winnings revenue today, okay. of revenue per wow. day yeah. so it was actually over 13 i had a budget of over 1000 uh, euros per month wow. to spend and i didn't have to spend any on like food at home or shelter or school or like medicine so it all went into i don't know rap uh, albums and computer games and mm-hmm. like i you don't know taking my friends out to mcdonald's and be just uh, King, cool. you know, cool. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that thir- was like best life of a thirteen year old can imagine. I, think. I can, I yeah, I can only imagine having a thousand euros a month <laughs> as a thirteen year old sounds
0: dope, yeah. <laughs> sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd like. I'd actually. Now that you just mentioned rap albums, because I, if you if you if you listen to the previous podcast, I was asking Torsten uh, would you rather prefer rap music over rock music? So you're definitely in definitely. the rap genre.
1: Yeah, I mean, rap is like so essential. It's so deep. It's um, mm-hmm. it's real. You know, it's real. Mm-hmm. When I, I listen to it, I I remember my childhood. I remember uh, just being real and not idolizing stuff, but like mm-hmm. telling things as they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, very hard stuff, and also being very creative with words, like Absolutely. finding a way to put them in a way together that they make sense and every time a good line passes my ears i i don't you know i press yeah. pause and i i just reflect on that line and mm-hmm. i listen to that again and yeah definitely <laughs> yeah
0: interesting yeah um yeah we strayed a little bit off topic but interesting that you say that as well because that's what i always liked about rap music as well that it was always very raw that it was always a direct you know a direct channel without any sort of embellishment um Tell me about, uh, the, the, so the first business you had was with the, with the Noodles at 13, but then after you finished school, you started your second business.
1: Oh, well, I, but my mm-hmm. first business with employees was actually at school. I was like 17. Ah. I had like five uh, employees and we knitted finger puppets. I was living in La Paz, mm-hmm. Bolivia. And um, yeah, basically I, I, I had the privilege to go to Australia when I was 16 mm-hmm. and uh I asked my mom to give me, I don't know, $200 to buy me some clothes for Australia. And she said, yeah, here, take that. And I didn't buy any clothes. I just bought like artisanal stuff. I thought, oh, I could sell that more expensive in Australia. Mm -hmm. So I arrived in Australia with a package full of stuff I could sell. And I started selling them on the plane. I got a little bit of (laughs) trouble in that. But (laughs) I continued on the buses where I had to ride. And uh, I noticed that finger puppets were like doing really, really well. So I had like these finger puppets and uh, from a woman called Augustina, and they were, did so well that when I came back, I told her, "Hey, let's do some business." And we opened up an Alibaba shop, and we actually managed to. sell over fifty thousand puppets. Um, yeah, in my really? last year of school, and she actually has her own shop. She was selling on the street before now, and she was like my first business partner. and Together, we had like five uh, knitters, and wow. uh, yeah, it yeah. was that was like a, it, it was called Bolivian finger puppets and it was very very empowering because you had all these women like this five women who told you yeah i I, I can do this job at home while like taking care of my children while my husband is uh, driving a vinyl van or a taxi Mm -hmm. and before that they they wouldn't bring any money at home and they Mm -hmm. would feel like very less empowered and then i don't know it was like emancipation you could feel the emancipation and you were like in this very very poor neighborhoods with them and like i don't know getting a perspective of their life i was rather privileged where i lived so Yeah. It was very different for me. And cool. every time I had to pay them, I had like pockets full of money and I was so afraid running through these neighborhoods, but never anything yeah. happened. Yeah. So then
0: they were able to do that all from the comfort of the home while looking after that. So basically you guys were doing home office before it was cool. Yeah, so yeah. of course. Yeah, we just <laughs> met
1: like to deliver the products, to do the quality control and to speak about the new project. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we met, uh, I don't know, once a month. And then yeah. uh, the other things were like over the phone. Yeah, how are you? That's are you awesome. advancing? Are we going to get it in time so we could like tell our customers? Yeah. You know, we would only sell B two B. We didn't sell. We uh-huh. only sold like to market uh, to, to these hippie market people, <laughs> to, to I don't know, to little shops, to like I don't know, yeah. uh, veterinaries, and uh, yeah. And actually, yeah, finger puppets was a great, great, great business because you get like. Uh, 250 finger puppets were one kilo and if you would ship something from Bolivia to the um. United States that was our main market um, then it, it would be like expensive if you would like sell something which is like two things a kilo uh, so yeah. it was very cheap to ship them it was like four or five Crazy. cents they, it, it would only add like I don't know 10-20% to the total yeah. cost and it was it, it was such a great product to like actually export and yeah, uh, yeah I, I remember those times very very well yeah uh.
0: And you said that now she opened up her own store. So basically, when you left Bolivia, then for your studies or something, you just gave it over to her, or you just, or they just continued without you. Or uh,
1: there, there was another like, guy who was like uh, selling more to the consumer, yeah. and uh, this guy we we gave business uh, basically over to him. And um, yeah, I, I had the privilege to come to Germany to study industrial engineering, mm-hmm. and I would like take another role. No, not as the founder of the company. Um, I mm-hmm. gave it to the to uh, my role to Augustina. and the other guy could like all, do all the uh, talking to foreigner stuff and, and could talk all, all these languages and I just would sell to um, Christmas markets uh, stands uh-huh, so I uh-huh. would contact them and get them uh, get our product there placed yeah. and it was also very good but it was not the same thing right like I would just yeah, be right. like an intermediary I would actually buy from my, my former company product and sell them to the to, mm-hmm. to the other other people so mm-hmm. I, I wasn't like yeah. involved in any decisions I would just imp- increase uh, their business and my personal business in that time so
0: yeah, you just yeah. I mean, when you say it, it all sounds really easy. Like yeah, well, I saw this and then I saw that. This was working well, so I expanded on that. But I mean, as as you said, like, you just have this entrepreneurial spirit. Are there any? Well, are there any superpowers you need to be able to be an entrepreneur? Is there something? Is there what would you say is the the factor that is most important for um, this uh, for this character trait? Yeah,
1: the thing is, yeah, it sounds easy, but actually, like. Uh, Or or many of your ideas fail. Like basically you just try something and then it doesn't work. Like I lost also a lot of customers in that way because I don't know, I experimented a bit Mm -hmm. and we had also some, like there was a lot of issues. So um, when you try something, yeah, and you want to solve a problem, either works perfect, then Mm -hmm. you don't need to solve it anymore. Mm. Or it doesn't. Then you need to iterate. And most people uh, don't even do the first step. They don't even try to, to look if their solution would actually solve it because they think, oh, it's not the perfect solution. But you know, if a snake is going to bite you, kill the snake. Don't find the perfect Mm -hmm. way to kill it. It doesn't matter, you know. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. always like that. that, That's Mm -hmm. I think that's a very very good trait as an entrepreneur to uh, just try to solve it, see if it works, and then um, yeah, don't punish yourself if it doesn't. It's not a personal thing, you know. You're just doing your best, and you're um, Mm -hmm. yeah, you're giving all you can. And if it doesn't work, it's not a personal thing. Then Mm -hmm. yeah, move on and don't 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 feel so much guilt. I think that's like another thing. Yeah, don't feel guilt because. Does not make sense, try to learn. That yeah, I would I would say that that's like the main thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about risk taking? How important is risk taking? And is there were you a difference between actually just going for it? Gut feeling, or do you always take calculated risk? Or do you just say, nah,
1: let's um, just go ahead, try it, you know? Yeah, and the tendency I take. Like in total, I would say I take too much risk. It's not necessary to take too that much risk. But mm. so many people talk about risk, and I don't see any risk actually. Like mm-hmm. I don't see it because I don't know. Like twenty when I was founded this company, I was twenty four years old. I just finished my studies. I didn't have any family. I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any debt or like a little debt. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then what's the risk of like making your own company? Um, I don't. I don't get the risk because like okay, the the, the against like taking a job at. Um, McKinsey or I don't know mm-hmm. a high pay yeah. company. I don't know if they would have even hired me, but mm-hmm. that was like the risk. Okay, that would would have been a salary cut, but would have been like there was like no other thing. So I don't I don't see most of the times I don't see like a real risk in there. Um and uh yeah in the tendency um risk is overestimated, you know, like mm-hmm. risk is something why people won't take it. But as soon as you take the risk, you pay a, a lesser price than other people would pay because yeah. you're assuming the risk. And as, as soon as you have assumed the risk, you can de-risk immediately. Right. And you can get, you know, you can like cover the bottom. Right.
0: Cool. So tell us more about uh, honesty. Like, uh, yeah, a second ago, you just gave us the elevator pitch, but yeah. in... Uh, Yeah, in in general or in... No, not in general, but in particular. What does Honestly do? What is your aim? What is your vision?
1: Mm -hmm. So, um, you see, um, there's like a lot of of hidden costs when people do not feel well at work. 50% of all sickness days in Germany are due to company culture. Um, And people leave companies. People don't leave companies, but don't work for the companies uh, with their whole heart anymore. People don't develop, people don't feel identified, and mm-hmm. it's a huge cost. And they're all related to company culture. Mm-hmm. The way to measure it over the last 20 years was over market research institute to make like yearly or bi-yearly surveys. And that um, idea that in theory sounds well didn't work well. People <laughs> would get like the same answers all over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And um, they wouldn't move on. They wouldn't actually solve the issues. And we saw that. We had like a technology to easily grasp feedback. We got like some customers who are already um, yeah, asking for it. And together with them, we developed a solution where we wouldn't measure as much as we would act and take initiatives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we developed a solution where um, you would have a continuous listening process mm-hmm. with like initiatives in place and um, many of the issues that would uh, engage into a better or higher culture where you would have like thoughts and, behaviors that are wished and are right for mm. faster in place. Um, for example, if you would like not to burn so much to your people, you would ask them, hey, did you work more than 70 hours this week? And uh, there's some company cultures where that is like common, but if they want really to grasp the people and don't burn them, that's maybe not as needed. But even in cultures yeah. where they work less, um, people where, who, whose ideas are, are like ignored and people are just... Mm. Frustrated and resignated by situations also have a very bad impact. And you can actually measure those things, you can counteract those things. And if you see the economical impact it can have on your company, then um, it's really also um, worth doing so. And for me, it's also a passion thing. You know, like Mm -hmm. when I wake up and I I listen to stories and I I listen to my friends who, uh, yeah, listen to what, what they are living day to day. I think, okay, uh, there's a better way to do that. And maybe we can have a little contribution towards that.
0: Yeah, cool. So um, a term that is thrown around a lot today is the term of uh, new work. And I, it's very interesting to talk to people about new work because every person says it's something different for them. Mm-hmm. Like there's thousands of definitions um, for the term new work. So I want to ask, what is this for you? Mm-hmm. in
1: very simple words Mm -hmm. it's um, uh, it's like a a paradigm shift towards Mm. change from control Mm. you know Mm. old work was control Mm. and new work is change change and trust 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 over control change over control yeah Yeah. 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 many many um, managers Mm. when they're in trouble they look for control when what they need is change Mm-hmm. hmm That's it. So
0: <clears throat> we were talking about now that you're talking about managers, just uh I'm going to ask it in a metaphorical question. Would you rather wear a snapback cap to work or a Rolex watch?
1: <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> if it's like real gold and shiny. <laughs> 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 oh, well. I, I could actually do both. I don't know. I mean, like, I, now, like, now that I think of it, yeah, that was, <laughs> I, I should have foreseen that answer actually. <laughs> uh, but, and it also depends on the snapback. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd I rather have not, So I'd I rather not wear watches actually. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I would go for the snapback. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I actually wear, th- wear them sometimes to work. You know that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, that yeah, I mean the the idea
0: behind it is you know the, the I don't know the mindset sometimes that you have of managers. Is how, do you think that will actually work out in the future? There's basically this, let's say, um, very elite and uh, let's you know hierarchical hierarchical structures. Is there a place for these? I mean, I'm not talking about like army or something. Of course, some, in some in some lines of work you do need a
1: strict hierarchy,
0: mm-hmm. but I mean just for strict office work. Do you think hierarchy will
1: have a place somewhere in the future? Uh, it- I, I now see where you're going with your question. Mm-hmm. So basically, there's like a lot of uh, things that are implemented to maintain a certain distance um, between um, managers and their employees, mm-hmm. and like status symbols, as like I don't know, higher higher cars or uh, Rolex sim uh, cars or like mm-hmm. fancy suits. They're like some of the symptoms that are established to maintain like this distance and to create sort of um, I don't know higher value uh, for for these. Um, yeah, for for these managers, and those are things that have uh, that they don't implement real respect and real uh, loyalty, um, and they and distance never creates trust.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think that this is a model that um, will survive over mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. I think trust is the thing which which is like the most uh, yeah the m- most the most important thing in in company culture. And trust is created through um, transparency and also to closeness, you know. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, if, if someone listens to you and, and, and talks to you on the same level, yeah. you can trust this pe- person much better yeah. than if, you, if it's a distant person. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, all these mechanisms which has been, have been established to create distance and hierarchy um, are not so useful to, to inspire trust in people. Mm-hmm. It's often said
0: that employees are the most valuable resource of a company. Is that true more today than it was, let's say, 30 years ago?
1: Um, Yeah, there was like a shift in work, like to do things in a very um, mechanical way. Especially like if you look at production yeah. production lines today, yeah. they're highly automatized, and these mm-hmm. uh, robots are going to take over all that mm-hmm. that stuff and all that work. And also in in, in, in like uh, intellectual work, um, we will have AI, which will take away a lot of our work. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll have like an AI interviewer someday. <laughs> Possible. Yeah. Um, but uh, as you see, we have to compete in the things that we will we are stronger and. Uh, I think because of that, um, to actually get to people's ideas and to what makes people people and emotions, that is, that it, it, is, it is more valuable today than 30 years ago, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think it was always very valuable and uh, if you look, if, I don't know, I've read like some Um, Made in America from from Sam Walton, from Walmart and what he tells you about like how important his employees were in his journey. Or if you uh, read the story of Götz Werner who created like DM Drogeriemärkte, Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. entrepreneur of Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, you also notice like how uh, decision making inside the uh, frontline employees that it was like the thing that made him successful, right? Like, yeah, like uh, the, uh, like, uh, like, um, destroying hierarchies. Yeah, and and creating a very very close relationship to the people in front line and giving them all the decision power he can. Yeah, and yeah. then I don't know, maybe there's no difference between now and thirty years ago, but now it it will be more important to make people think and less execute. You know that that, that will be like a big paradigm shift. Yeah, that we're living right now, and then yeah. uh, maybe maybe that will also increase uh, how how important it is to to to, yeah. to make people feel empowered to take these decisions and to think and not yeah. just execute.
0: Absolutely. No, I think, it's, uh, I think it's amazing how exactly how this idea is getting more and more traction nowadays. But I think even Richard Branson back in the 80s and 90s said something. If you want a happy client, you have to make your employees happy first. And once mm-hmm. your employees are happy, then that will transfer to the client. You know. So, okay, so Matteo, during your career, you've probably had uh, a lot of dealings with
1: lawyers. What is, your, what is your image that you have in your mind of lawyers? Uh, I don't know. For me, lawyers are like doctors, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> really they help you to navigate through a world that you don't have any idea of and yeah. if you don't uh, listen to them you will like probably die it's not think that uh, I yeah. don't know that you really are uh, I, I don't know I'm not very passionate about like the legal system in any uh, place, in any place. And, yeah okay. I don't I don't yeah. think it's like a, 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 it's an interesting place and I know how people are passionate about it but I'm yeah. not passionate about medicine so I wasn't oh, passionate okay. Uh, okay. about the legal system so I don't uh, Know as much about it uh, as them, and um, yeah. like I don't know if uh, I don't know. Uh, as I say, they are like doctors. You try to talk to them as little as possible, but when you talk to them, you really need that. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: gonna be necessary.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true because every, nobody's
0: like, oh yes, nice. We have to call the lawyer now because yeah. if you have to call the lawyer, it means you know a problem got out of hand and it's probably yeah. gonna get expensive. So nobody's yeah. ever happy happy to to call the lawyer. Yeah. But yeah, as you said. Um, yeah, it is necessary. Is there something that you would, because at the end of the day, you know, this is a legal podcast. Is there something that you would like more in your dealings with lawyers and the way they talk or something? Uh, or just in general, when just in general, any feedback you have for the lawyers listening to this podcast?
1: Uh, I, I I don't know. There's like some lawyers who really get it, and they try to make it simple, you know, mm-hmm. for the entrepreneurs, mm. and just uh, try to find words where they explain it like really, really easily yeah. what they need to do, and yeah. um, also like taking a stand because lawyers never want to take any risk and they, 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 always, they, never, uh, they always try to, to, to make very, very uh, safe decisions. Absolutely. But as an entrepreneur, you're a risk taker. So you would like to evaluate actually the risks. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, uh, you, you cannot uh, take them by the word, but you have to like interpret their words. Interpret them. Okay. And that, that's making it very hard for entrepreneurs, you know? Like mm-hmm. it would be easier if the lawyer would be like, hey, I will cut the mic off, but these are the risks and I would actually personally recommend you this. But okay. we never get that. You never get that. You always get only the safest choice, and the other options as something they would not recommend. But they always always put like words around it. Yeah, I don't like that. I would okay. like to have like the straight things, and maybe I don't didn't find like the lawyer uh, with the. And, and I think it's also legal risk for them. I think Absolutely. I think I think they, yeah. th- there's some laws that that prevent them from doing so, even if some yeah. would like prefer to to talk like that. Mm.
0: No, that's the thing. Yeah, if you if you ask lawyer, is it a yes or no question? The lawyer will never answer with yes or no. They will always answer with "it depends." On you know that what you what you just said. Yeah. So I've been seeing on my LinkedIn feed lately a lot of people, um, especially a lot of women uh, who studied law, are founding. Uh, one of our first guests, Madeleine Hoytz, You know, you know her. Yeah. Are you in contact? Are you in contact with? Uh, have you seen that trend as well? Or like the, that? Generally, women, more women are founding. Uh, companies nowadays? Uh, or,
1: I, I mean, if you look at the um, uh, legal um, or, or law students, there's mm-hmm. like a lot of more women than if you would like to into tech. You know, no, if you true. would that's go true. into like IT or mathematics, you would like see uh, a lot less women. So yeah. um, it's very good and encouraging that you have like law founders uh, mm-hmm. or legal, uh, legal tech founders like Madeleine and others who, um, mm-hmm. and to, to inspire more female entrepreneurship because we need actually all kinds of <laughs> perspectives on that. And if they are more yeah. better experts on that, I don't know like in uh in my household my mom always was to judge so I think they have some competence in that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah we actually uh what you just said you know the the idea that lawyers have to speak in more clear language. Um I am actually interviewing the next guest will be uh, Anna Mork. I don't know if you heard about her. No. She's uh she's actually founded a magazine called The Legal Layman which is mm-hmm. exactly that. Basically she's going to talk about everyday Problems, legal problems, but she's going to explain in the in in her magazine. She's going to explain that in in clear language, mm-hmm. in language that anyone can understand. So, I'm very I'm very excited about that. Um, ah, this is the controversial question, Matthias, What has been the biggest fail in your
1: career so far,
0: or we can just personally, professionally, whatever is what okay. has it
1: been? Yeah, uh, that's a very deep deep one. But um, <laughs> I, I'll tell you that uh, I think I. <laughs> I am responsible for um, a former employee of ours mm. getting burnout, at least like partially um, mm-hmm. responsible. And that's like a very, very big pain for me. I mean, like yeah. I, I don't know, it's some years ago, but I still wake up to it and it really feels very, very painful that yeah. to have to be partially or fully responsible to to cause that kind of pain to someone and being totally preventable. And um, yeah, only reflection and reflection and reflection make me realize of that. And um, it was never my intention, but it was a result. And it made me like rethink my whole life. And it's mm-hmm. like the biggest failure I had as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I hope it never happens to any entrepreneur. And I really encourage mm-hmm. every entrepreneur to take care of their people mm-hmm. and to see if they're not carrying too much on their plates. Because people, um, yeah, that, that are very um, eager and... Uh, want to achieve a lot they put a lot of stuff on their plates and as an entrepreneur you, you you love those kind of peoples and then you think you can just put more stuff on their plates because they're delivering and once that thing gets broken you will lose a very good relationship and you will go lose a good good colleague and you will lose a yeah. lot of momentum and you will lose a lot of trust in yourself yeah. as an entrepreneur yeah
0: Um. in the aftermath I mean what particular steps did you take i mean i can obviously see that it took you a long hard you know that it was a that was that it was um that you had to fight a lot with that you know with that with that happening yeah what particular ste- steps did you take in order to make sure
1: that that never happens again um well the first thing was to establish a uh, our prioritization on values, our prioritization on company culture in our own company, mm. it was uh, something that like a very, very a big step. It was um, we hired a head of people to help us to really understand these kind of projects and how uh, we can prevent those situations. We uh, did like uh, we do our emotional check-ins now before mm. every huddle, so we know how people feel, mm. and uh, yeah, we check on our people much more regularly through um, yeah at least monthly on one-on-ones. So we really understand if, if someone is like overloaded or someone is like going through something so yeah. we can be supportive in those situations. And those Wait. are like the the concrete steps and the mindset yeah. steps. There was like so also like a lot of mindsets that uh, okay. we changed in our heads uh, coming like from, I don't know, when I was like in, in, in uni uh, being like a consultant and working 80, or 100 hours. That was like something you would strive uh-huh. for. And it's like not something we would strive for anymore and we would not encourage that in, in, yeah. in our people. Tell, uh, tell me more about these emotional check-ins
0: because I think that is something that I've never seen at any company before. How exactly does that work? What is the goal
1: of these mm-hmm. check-ins? So um, every time like uh, two or more people meet, they would like um, tell their intention for the meeting and they would tell like how they feel. And the emotional check-in um, gives the other person a perspective. If this person is like, uh, what? what, what if, if yeah, if she's very happy or encouraged, and then they can share that uh, happiness, and that happens a lot. Or if someone is going through a very stressful thing, or something in particular stresses them, uh, then they can go into the um, after talks and talk about it and say, hey, uh, I didn't know it would stress you so much, and, and, and really talk it out. So there's a lot of issues that normally are never, never uh, even named because... They would be considered too little, uh-huh. but in this emotional check-ins, a lot of of, of dynamics happen, and um, yeah, you can really, um, yeah, you can really uh, understand how people uh, feel, and you can act towards it if it's negative, and you can get encouraged if it's positive, and uh, it helps. Uh, what, what helped me most is to to understand my own emotions to express them because I mm. I was now like this kind of guy who like expresses emotions, but uh-huh. When i had to do it and i would say oh if you're good i feel bad it, people would tell me oh that's not an emotion and i would like really have to go deeper into me to understand what is what is the real emotion beneath it yeah yeah so
0: i'm going to ask the opposite question what was the best experience you ever had for your company though or just in general any company you ever you ever founded is there mm-hmm. is there such a thing as the best emotion or is it just you know like what, yeah the best experience when you were at the height of happiness uh,
1: <laughs> yeah okay that's that's actually when you uh, listen uh, when you have like the opposite thing when um, for me it's also like a company culture when people are uh, they you know they they don't uh, respect the hierarchies they would tell me if i'm making like bad decisions they would actually say, oppose those decisions and I would see okay I've created a culture where people uh would actually um, name it if they, they see something wrong mm. If people would use um, our values to make decisions if uh, people are inspired by your vision and you, I lived that so many times and I lived that so, uh, I don't know m- almost day to day or if they get like uh, if they are strong even in hard situations those things that they, they give you a lot of, of energy and um, you can live off that and you can really like think about what's next and um, those those uh, little moments of happiness they come in in i would say almost every day and they create like a life that is really worth living so i I couldn't like name a single moment but i would say like there's a lot of moments that really 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 are worth living and that um make me very very happy and they all have to do with um, people feeling empowered in organization to make better decisions than i could do um being more competent or seeing more stuff, and I'm um, living that. And, and you, you lift that uh, if, if you encourage that, you will lift that more and more and more and more. So, yeah, my life gets yeah. happier and happier and happier every day. That's nice. That's nice. Um, <clears throat> we're, coming, we're coming to the end of the
0: interview. This is one of the last questions. I remember what Madeleine said to this question. She said, she said uh, It's necessary to run uh, into as many walls head first. As possible. And so the question is, what message would you like to put out to listeners, maybe people that are still in school or
1: still in uni that are thinking about founding their own company? Yeah. If, if you are thinking about your own company, there's two things you can't afford and you can afford everything else. And these two things are overhead mm-hmm. and burnout. Mm-hmm. That's it? That's nice. it. Wonderful. Okay,
0: yeah, then I think it's... Um, time to wrap it up. I would just like to say goodbye to our listeners and don't forget to tune in to the last episode featuring Sarunas Nabutas, a lawyer and public figure from Lithuania who was interviewed by our founder, Edgaras. Um, yeah, Mathieu, thank you again, once again. Thank you so much for coming today even though it's a Saturday and I know your schedule so I know, I know how much you have to do so it's uh, really nice that you actually found the way to come to our apartment and give this wonderful interview. Thanks, man. Thank you, Daniel. And listeners, don't forget to subscribe to... Uh, <laughs> legal. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. Prevents podcast.